heliocentrism or geocentrism? That was the question that Nicholas Copernicus pondered as an astronomer and mathematician. You see, the prevailing thought of the day was geocentrism, that the earth was at the center of the universe and that the sun rotated around the earth. But Copernicus radically disagreed with this theory held by so many, and he developed a heliocentric model that placed the sun at the center of the universe and that the earth and the other planets rotated around the sun. Copernicus's scientific discovery and model was printed in his book on the revolution of the celestial spheres in 1543, which just happened to be before he died. And his contribution is known as the Copernican Revolution, which was a major contribution to science and to what we know as the scientific revolution. Copernicus challenged modern science with a different perspective that we now know was correct. This, of course, was long before NASA ever existed, before satellites and rockets were launched into outer space. And although this discovery took place just less than 500 years ago, the question of being heliocentric, I believe, is still appropriate for people of faith today. As we begin this new sermon series together called the Five Solas of the Reformation, we begin with this phrase, in Christ alone, or Christ alone. And Today, the Apostle Paul, much like Copernicus, seems to understand that heliocentrism is the correct way of thinking as we read his words today. In Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossian church saying, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Paul is speaking about Jesus as the Son of God who reigns supreme over everything. Now, more than likely, this particular passage of Scripture was the text to a hymn shared with the church, probably sung together, even though we read it as a theological discourse about the sovereignty and the supremacy of Christ. Regardless, Paul writes in a way to remind the church of the centrality of Jesus' lordship, that in fact everything in heaven and on earth revolves around him. This heliocentric view is not one that places the S-U-N sun as the giant nuclear furnace of the universe that gives light to the earth at the center, but one that places the S-O-N, the Son of God, the true light of the world at the center of the universe and all of history. In fact, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus is God with skin on. That's what the Gospel of John 
affirms when John tells us the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The God of heaven and earth who created all things, who creates us, is the God who reveals Himself most clearly through the Son, Jesus the Christ, who moves into our neighborhood and shows us grace and truth through His life and his ministry. Christ alone. God reveals himself through the anointed one, Jesus. Now we affirm together in the Christian church that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, and these titles are appropriated to to Jesus to exalt his name and have a status over everything. The title Christ simply means anointed one, chosen by God. The title Messiah simply means deliverer. And Jesus is anointed by God as a prophet, a priest, and a king, which are all positions, as we read in Scripture, in which those who are chosen by God would be anointed with oil as a sign of being God's servant. Jesus is God's servant, and yet he is Lord at the same time. And as we read the Gospels together, we find that there are many who affirm Jesus as a prophet from God. He was wise in what he said and what he taught. And there were some who affirmed him as the Messiah that they awaited to come and the Christ, the anointed one from God. But there were also many skeptics, many people who thought that Jesus was a fraud, that he claimed to be God or that he claimed to be the Messiah, but he really wasn't. Theologian C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity says that Jesus was either God or that he was a lunatic or that he was the devil of hell. Many people sum this up by saying that Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. You see, Lewis's argument is that Jesus made some pretty bold claims that put him on par and equal with God. And so he was either telling us the truth or he was deliberately misleading everyone. So Lewis says at the end of the day, everyone must figure out who Jesus is for themselves that we cannot be content with just calling him a good moral teacher because Jesus will have none of that. But according to Paul, he is the son of God. And he didn't just show up out of nowhere. He says he's the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created and all things have been created through him and for him. Essentially, Paul is saying that Jesus is God. As Grant tried to share with the children this morning uh, with his graham crackers and and marshmallows and and chocolate, which made me hungry and my stomach growl during church. Thankfully, my microphone was not on. Understanding the Trinity is a tough concept. That we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead who comes to us and makes God known to us so that we can see God face to face. And when we read the Bible and we open it up to the very first page in Genesis, it begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to say in the next verse that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the surface of the deep. The next verse, verse 3 says, and then God said, let there be light. 
See, as Christians who understand the Old Testament well, we understand that Jesus is already present in creation as the spoken word. That we have the Father present there, the Spirit hovering over the waters, and when that word is spoken, that Jesus is right there, this Trinity is already present. Jesus didn't show up on the scene later just because he was born and incarnated into this world. He was already before anything that ever was created. John says it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus has always been, and Jesus will always be. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the divine superglue that keeps everything together. Now, it's easy for us to wonder about that sometimes in a world that we live in right now where everything seems to be spinning out of control, but one of the central affirmations of the Reformation is that God is sovereign and that God is in control no matter what and that nothing can happen outside of the will of God. We sing a song as children, and we learn it early, It's called, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. And we sing that together, and it it affirms a central truth of the sovereignty of God, that all of us are in the hands of God, in the hands of Jesus. That there is nothing that can happen in this world without Jesus' control being present. And so the sun rises and it sets, the ocean recedes, and we have air to breathe because of Christ. Now, some would say, Pastor Jeff, these things happen because of science, not because of God. And I would say, well, but God is the author of science. And I don't necessarily believe that God and science have to be opposed to one another. I don't know if you know this or not, but the earth moves around the sun at 18 miles per second. It tilts at 23 degrees which is an essential fact that makes our seasons possible. We're enjoying fall because the earth is tilted right at 23 degrees. And in another month or so, we'll be experiencing winter because the earth tilts at 23 degrees. But praise God that it tilts at 23 degrees and eventually spring and summer will come back to us. The earth is just far enough away from the sun to keep everything from either freezing or burning. Our atmosphere is made up of 21% oxygen. If it were higher than that, fires would break out and they would be hard to put out. Any less than that, it would be hard to start a fire and to stay warm. You see, when we begin to think about all these things, particularly these things of science that we learn and grow in and and in education, we begin to find out that all of this points us back to the God who's got the whole world in his hands. Amen? Paul is very clear in what he writes that everything revolves around Christ. Three times Paul says in him and twice through him, and I think here the prepositions really matter. He says, in him all things were created, in him all things hold together, and in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him the world was created, and through him reconciliation between humanity and all of creation is made possible through his blood shed on the cross. 
Jesus is the head, the head of the body we call the church. And he is the firstborn from among the dead. And he's risen from the dead at Easter so that we might have life and have it abundantly. So as we think about the centrality of Christ, Christ alone, Paul is urging us to get out of our geocentric mindset. Because the truth is, sometimes we have it all backwards. Son, Jesus, doesn't revolve around us. Rather, we revolve around the Son. And so often I think that the church can live in the mindset that God exists simply for us, rather than the other way around. Unfortunately, we can view our calling as disciples of Jesus as being part of a country club of sorts. If we just pay our dues, then we can reap the benefits of whatever the club has to offer us. And so church services, for instance, must be entertaining to keep us engaged. And we can view ourselves as the center of worship rather than God because we expect to get something out of it rather than expecting to give God something. You see how we can easily get things out of whack? Our vision in the church can be limited to maintaining the status quo rather than moving forward faithfully in ways that challenge us and move us beyond ourselves. Sometimes we see fellowship as the center of our lives, making our social connections so important, or our lack of them as the linchpin of whether or not we show up to church in the first place. And we can also make the church our source of protection, our safe place, as if God intends for us to somehow withdraw from the realities of the world around us and just kind of hang out as monastic folks right in this building. And it's not that worship shouldn't be engaging. There isn't maintenance in the life of the church. It's not that fellowship isn't an integral and important part of our lives together or that the church shouldn't be a safe place. But these are not the reasons that the church exists. Jesus is the center of everything. We exist because he exists, and we were created for him. And we are called to be disciples of Christ who understand that we live and we move and we have our being because of him. And we affirm that he is above all things, before all things, the center of all things, and the end of all things. And he has created everyone, and he's also brought about this new creation through his life-giving sacrifice and resurrection. You see, Jesus is not a God among many gods. He is the only God who pursues us with a love that will not let us go. So the Protestant affirmation, Christ alone, it reminds us that without Jesus, we all would be lost. That we are incapable of saving ourselves. Paul goes on to tell us, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. Christ alone has reconciled us to the Father, washing away our sin and justifying us as righteous people in his sight. We can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we also can't hoard it. You see, the church doesn't just exist for fellowship, worship, study, or service. We are called to proclaim Christ alone as the only way of salvation, this gift of grace and truth that exists in him. 
The church doesn't exist for us. It exists to proclaim the good news found in Jesus Christ, which is good news for everybody. Theologian and missionary Leslie Newbegin, in his book, The Gospel and the Pluralistic Society, he says it this way. He says, as a human race, we are on a journey and we need to know the road. It is not true that all roads lead to the top of the same mountain. There are roads which lead over the precipice. And in Christ, we have been shown the road. We cannot treat that knowledge as a private matter for ourselves. It concerns the whole human family. If you understand that rightly, then it all comes back to Christ alone. And the church is called to proclaim salvation found in Christ alone. The church is called to proclaim Christ as the Messiah, Lord, and Savior of all. Not simply as some theological essay so that we can try to win people over and debating with them. That's not what it's all about. Really, it's more like a a life song. That as a collective people of God, we have experienced the grace and truth found in Jesus and we need to share that with everyone else. Because we believe as a church that Jesus is not a liar, that Jesus is not a lunatic, that he is Lord of all. And we exist to glorify and enjoy him forever, but we also exist to proclaim him as the center of everything. The contemporary Christian group Casting Crowns, they recently released a song that I think adequately defines our understanding of the Son of God being the center of everything. The song title is called Nobody. And the chorus goes like this. Because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody. Jesus. You see, when we rightly understand who Jesus is, that he's the Lord of all, who has created us to know him, to make him known in this world, who has saved us from our sin and loves us with a love that never runs out, then we also rightly understand who we are in light of him. And it's not that we're really nobodies, because to Christ we're somebodies, somebody worth dying for and living for. But in the grand scheme of it all, We are not here to gain fame and to make a name for ourselves so that we can go down in the history books. We are here to point people to Jesus the Christ. We are here to proclaim to everybody about somebody who is salvation for everyone. We are here to share good news, and that good news is rooted in the center of everything who is Jesus the Christ. We know him as the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And just like the song that Paul sings to the Colossian church about Jesus, our hearts too, we have a song to sing that we're here to live for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Or as the reformers rightly proclaim, Christ alone. Friends, my prayer for us as the church today is that together we would maybe recenter ourselves to understand that we're not called to this geocentric model of faith in which God revolves around our every needs and wants. 
No, we, we would shift our thinking to a heliocentric view that we, as people of God, we revolve around the Son, Jesus the Christ, that we live for Christ, that we proclaim Christ, that as the people of God, that is why we exist, is for Him, to share that with the world. And everything that we think, and everything that we say, and everything that we do, ultimately, is for Jesus. Friends, may it be so this day, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, 